What's good, family? We know you're enjoying today's episode of New New Magodcast with none other than Norman Brown, the professor. But we had to interrupt briefly to tell you about Norman's latest book. Recently, with all that's been happening with the pandemic, many have had questions. And in May 2020, Norman was hospitalized for nine days with COVID-19. When he came out of the hospital, he came out with a powerful testimony of how God saved him from death and his inspiration to write his newest book, Covert COVID-19, An Attack on Kingdom Agendas. Now, in this book, he shares his personal story of how he was attacked by the spirit that causes this virus as he declared war while he was writing this book, but he overcame it through faith, prayer, and fasting. In the book, he shares the revelation that God gave him about how this virus affected and exposed certain things about the church at large, which are necessary for believers to understand what's going on and this new thing God is doing in the earth. His book is available for download today on Amazon, so get your copy today. Hey, this is Bill Vanderbush, and I want to encourage you to check out my friend Norman Brown and his podcast called New Numa, and you can go to newnuma.com to find it. It's P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A.com. Norman talks about everything from identity to grace to diversity to unity to reconciliation, and his desire really is the same as what's on my heart, and that is to bring people together to be the kingdom of God, to express the love and grace of Jesus here on the earth. I highly encourage you to check out Norman Brown and the New Numa podcast. You are tuned in to the New Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, a.k.a. Professor, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. We were talking about the church in Corinth and Paul's letter in Second Timothy, how that the phrases about, you know, not only women submitting, but women being silent in the church are so often misinterpreted and weaponized and used inappropriately within the church. And you were talking about how you've had to have some conversations with okay. folks about, yeah. <laughs> now I remember, now I remember. So that, what I was going to say is that when I tell people, when I break down how, to first of all look at a scripture and and in its context and then also bringing in other scriptures from throughout the Bible mm-hmm. I show people the way that I show people is I'll say okay first of all let's just look at this from the perspective of if you see this verse that says I don't allow a woman to speak or teach or whatever yeah. but then you see another scripture that shows that there's a woman who is an apostle and you see other scripture that says there's a woman who is a prophetess. I mean, these are scriptures that are showing you the opposite of what that is talking about. So yeah. that means that that cannot mean what you think it means. If yeah. you're thinking that it means they have to shut up and not say anything, then you're wrong because that's also taken out of context. Yeah. And so my thing is, is that, you know, I try to, uh, what I try to show people is, okay, 
this would be contradictory to what God is saying in these other places or showing us in these other places if that's, in fact, what he really meant. So yeah. since that is not something that lines up with these other places in Scripture, then that's not what he was talking about. That's so that, that's the thing that, um, that I do when it comes to these kind of difficult situations. Another type of thing was with baptisms. Um, now, mm-hmm. the first thing is a lot of people don't know that when you look at the original Greek of uh, the words for baptism or the word for baptism in, in the Greek language, it's, um, it can mean either there's multiple types of baptisms. It's not just talking about water. But a yes. lot of people, when they hear that word, they think water only. But then when you look at the scripture where Jesus spoke of, you know, you will be, um, can you be baptized with my baptism? And then he talks about another place, you will be baptized with, with fire and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Ghost and fire, rather. And that said nothing about water. It says fire, Holy Ghost and yes. fire. But, see, there's people that will teach and say, well, if you're talking about getting saved, then you're not saved unless you've been baptized. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's not true. No, that it's is not. A, I, say, I tell those people, listen, you can be saved by just confessing that Jesus is Lord and accepting him in your heart. Now, after that, you are supposed to then follow up with baptism because that is a sign of your conversion. However, that is not the ceiling of your conversion and is not the thing that's going to, is not going to prevent you from going to heaven if you die today and you, you know what I'm saying? Like you only accepted Jesus into your heart. And then I, I even presented, because I actually had this conversation recently, and I was in a, a discussion with some people who believe that unless you get water baptized, you are not saved. And I said, well, first of all, if a man gave his life to the Lord on his dying bed right now, then he would go to heaven. I don't For care sure. what you say. He's accepted sure. oh. Jesus Christ in his heart, and that's it. Well, you have the evidence of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. I'm going to be straight up with you, Norman. Dude didn't really even repent. Dude didn't really even say, he didn't pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't do anything. He just looked at Jesus and he knew who he was. And he said, would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. That Mm -hmm. is what it takes. That man was not baptized. There's nothing wrong with baptism. There's nothing wrong with praying the sinner's prayer. These are good things that that mature, growing believers should want to step into. Like, this is just part of it. But to look at it as a legalistic, box-checking system to earn your way into heaven, it's not biblical, and it's not a representation of the heart of the Father. One of the things that's so helpful to me with all of this, whether we're talking about submission, whether we're talking about, you know, perceived religious box-checking, any of this, is to look at a passage of Scripture, and as you're doing it, listening, inviting the Holy Spirit to be with you while you're reading, ask Holy Spirit when you're reading something, say, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? Is it prescriptive, like this applies to me letter for letter right now, or is it descriptive of what was happening 
in this story, in this context, in this culture that I can still learn from today. The difference between being prescriptive and descriptive makes all the difference, and I, this is where we need to get into this conversation as it pertains to submission, because I don't care if we're talking about husbands and wives. I don't care if we're talking about, as some of the original translations will put it, slaves and their masters, or some of the more modern translations will say employers and employees. And then to take it even another level deeper, parents and their children. When we're talking about submission, we need to look at what is prescriptive versus what is descriptive. Make sure we know the difference and then understand contextually here and now what, what are the times when we are not called to submit? What are the times when submission looks more like honor and fervent prayer and maybe it looks like standing up to support your spouse or your employer or your parents when they are in the wrong and showing them the error of their ways and loving them through it. These are critical conversations that it's, you don't hear a lot of teaching on this from the pulpit because it's extremely controversial. But I really believe this is why people are in love with Jesus. People are more full of faith in our modern-day culture than they ever have been before. But they're walking away from the church in droves because it becomes this exclusionary club where these people who are – who have every right to be at the table, people of different cultures and ethnicities, people of different genders, people of different box-checking belief systems are treated as subclass citizens, if not a danger to all of Christendom. This is something we have to remedy, and we have to be willing to have enough humility to say, what's it going to take for us to stay in the room together and learn how to honor one another and build a strong enough, to relate, a strong enough relationship to where we could even lovingly correct one another if we needed to? We don't have that authority in modern culture right now. Like, like, this is a, America is a Christian nation, and I know even you and I both would have to at some point admit, like, we live with a lot of privilege. Like, this is just what our forefathers intended, and we're kind of stepping into this. But I'm telling you right now, people are bucking the system. They are looking at it and saying, you know what? This might be a Christian nation, and I might even believe in God, but I don't want anything to do with the church because they don't love me because I'm a woman. They don't love me because I'm black. They don't love me because uh, I'm, I'm struggling with gender issues or sexuality issues. Like, people really believe this, and we've got to change the conversation. Go back to what God really had to say in the matter and be willing to participate with him in what he's doing right now in context with culture. God is still speaking. Holy Spirit is living within us, and if we tap in, we can hear him. So these are opportunities for us to say, you know, I think I've heard this, this idea of submission my whole life. What does that really mean? Do I, do I believe it because somebody told it to me, or do I believe it because it's in the Word and I understand it? So I just want to invite people who are listening, like, dig deep. Like, question your assumptions about these kinds of things. And when you do, in my experience, I know Norm, you've had the same thing. When you go deeper and understanding God's original intention with how he spoke to us through the word, you end up finding out, like, wow, God is so much better than I thought he was. Like, he is an advocate for the marginalized. He, he takes the weak and he makes them strong. He takes those who are last and he puts them in the forefront. This is what God does. It's this upside-down kingdom where death is life. <laughs> and here we are, like, with our panties in a twist about about submission. I'm like, 
y'all are focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, you brought out something that I feel is really good to um, continue to talk about. Um, when you, you brought up the fact that sometimes submission is looking like standing up against something that's wrong, um, but it's in the support of someone getting it right. I don't know how exactly you worded it, but yeah. I like what you're talking about, like with the parents or like mm -hmm. someone that's really, they're out of line with something they're doing. They're on the wrong path or whatever, but, you know, can you go into that a little deeper? I want yeah. I wanted you to explain it from your perspective. Yes. So when we're talking about positions of God-given authority, and I'm going to use that kind of loosely, right? I'll be, I'm assuming some authority that we carry as children of God in this realm, and those are unique assignments when you think about Deborah being a prophet, when you think about, you know, these people who have these unique assignments and unique tasks in life. That translates o over into some of the roles that we carry in society and in humanity as mothers and fathers, as children, as leaders, as husbands, as wives. As it, it, gets, it gets complicated, but we do have certain levels of authority where we have been uniquely created to carry a facet of the Father's heart and power when we move with him in what we're doing, when we allow him to use us as instruments of his authority and we are fully submitted to the Father's authority, he will use us to bring about measurable change in the world. But some of his relationships, like the, usually the ones that are closest to us, often people fight the most with the people that they love the most, with their spouse, with their parents, with their kids. Like it's just these relationships are tense because they're so deep and so intimate Yet we are all walking and learning to step into the authority that God's trying to give us to carry in this realm. Now, if that word authority is throwing you off, like, let's go back to Genesis, like back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, God gave Adam, Adam, not Adam and Eve, but he gave Adam authority to rule over the earth. He's literally like, oh, Adam, this is awesome. You go take this. You go cultivate the garden. Go name the animals. Do whatever you want to do. I want you to... I'm, I'm asking you to steward this whole thing. I'm giving you authority over all of it. You go manage it. And that's all good and great. And Adam and Eve are working in tandem. And I assume, you know, when you're looking back at that, that Garden of Eden, like Sunday school flanagram picture, like Eve's doing her good job of submitting to Adam and deploying herself in support of him as he rolls over the earth. <laughs> but let me tell you what happens when sin enters into the picture, when sin himself the enemy enters into the picture. He goes to that woman who doesn't believe she has any authority. He deceives her. And when God comes to Adam and Eve later and he says, Adam, like, what happened? Where are you right now? And Adam looks at God, looks at Eve, points his finger at her, and he's like, she did it. <laughs> she did it. It wasn't my fault. I had no control over her. Do you know what he did in that moment? He took the authority that he had been given and he put it on Eve. He put it on her. He said, I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want to be responsible for her. It's her fault. She did it. But Eve didn't really do any better. She looked at Adam, is shocked, and then she looks at God, and then she looks at the serpent, and she was like, uh, I don't want that. It's his fault. It's his fault. He deceived me. She 
transitioned that authority that God gave to Adam, that Adam gave to Eve, she gave it to the serpent. And you know what? The serpent didn't say words. He was happy to receive it. And he used that authority to lord over us as a species until Jesus broke into this realm and broke that earth. This is the level of authority that we have and how important it is for us to know what we carry. So in these positions of authority, Norm, if you have a husband, a wife, um, a parent, an authority figure at work or an authority figure at church who is operating outside of the will of God and you know it, you better not submit to that. And I'm talking submit like you don't roll over to that. I'm not saying you walk away. I'm not saying you cause a church split. I'm not saying if you're married that you divorce. And I'm not saying that if you are in a parent-child relationship or even friendship that you sever ties. Certainly not. That's not the heart of grace. That's not the heart of the Father. But sometimes it's about leaning in and saying, do you know what? I love you so much. I want to step up support you in the role that you are supposed to be carrying out in my life. But this, I can't get on board with this. That's not about you and your authority. This idea is not the heart of God. I want to unpack that. And I'm going yeah. to tell you why, why this is so difficult for women, Norman, and it, it, it will translate over into a host of different situations, but I can share my unique perspective. In the roles that I have walked in as a wife, I love my husband. Mike and I will be celebrating 17 years together in August. And he Congratulations. Is Thank you. He is an incredible husband, an incredible partner, an incredible man of God, and an incredible leader of our family. I acknowledge him, and I give him that. I want him to step up and lead. There were times in our marriage early on, those first 10 years are really formative, let me tell you. There were times where he would have an idea, and I wouldn't agree. And I would, in my, my Eve complex, look at it and say, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. Therefore, I don't have to recognize you as the head of the household. And not only that, but since you don't want to be the spiritual leader of our family, I'm just going to do it. That is the heart of the enemy. That is what he was trying to infuse in Eve in the garden and say, you know, when he crept up to her in the garden and she was looking at that fruit, and he said, did God really say that she couldn't eat that? Like, surely you won't die. Go ahead, take a bite. Like she, and that's not a curse of women that we're somehow like easily manipulated or like human beings want power. We want authority. We want to wait for God to give it to us. And we were given the opportunity in our brokenness, we take it. We just take it when we can. This is in stark contrast to that and saying, do you know what? When I was, when I was early in my marriage, I made all these mistakes. But now, in the relationship that I have with my husband, I do see him as leader of our family. He also sees me as an incredibly important leader, and not only a leader, but an advisor to him as he leads. He needs me, and I need him. I, I cannot imagine my husband saying, submit, woman, I'm the authority in this family. I, what I say goes, like, I can't fathom those words ever coming out of his mouth other than a like total loving sarcasm like <laughs> if you were teasing me maybe but that is not the heart of what an authority figure is supposed to carry if you have authority in this realm it's because God gave it to you 
and us, those of us who are underneath the the worldly authority of a figure, whether that be um, a, a head of our household, whether that be a head of our corporations, whether that be a head of our church, someone who's pastoring us, we make a willing decision to come underneath their authority. When we come under their authority, it's not a rollover submission. Certainly not. It is us going back into that military-level deployment of our support to honor them, love them, lift them up, and when necessary, to lovingly challenge them and say, hey, I believe in you. I believe in the authority that you've been given by God on this earth. I want to champion you on that. Here's something you might be missing. Can I offer this to you? What's sad is in this realm, and this, and women, we know that we experience this often because of the grossly undertaught gender roles in the church. Like, we do such a bad job of teaching the identity of men and women and families in the church. We just don't do a good job of this. But when a man does not know how to step into his God-given authority as husband and father, he will back off like Adam did and be like, you know what? Not it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The, the natural codependent nature of the woman, the wife, is to say, well, holy crap, if you're not going to do it, somebody's got to do it, so it might as well be me, because I have better ideas. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that is really what so much of this is trying to come against, even when those who are in authority over us are acting as humans, as we all will. It's our it's our job, our responsibility, and our privilege to be able to walk alongside them as loving advisors who are for them. Even if on their worst day, we can say, I know who you are. I believe in you. Here's what I'm still believing for. Let me help you see things from a new perspective. And over time, these authority figures, they can be won over. I will not say, though, that an authority figure who is engaging in active abuse, marginalization of, of said subjects. I don't even like that word, but the people who are following, the people who have positioned themselves in this military deployment under their authority, if they are operating with a spirit of abuse, this is a time where we, those of us who are in militant defense of the ones who love and need us, we have to step up. Submitting does not mean rolling over. Submitting does not mean I'm just going to do whatever my leader says. No, they need us. No one, not even Deborah, could operate in isolation. She needed the people. And when you're submitted to the voice of God, you will lead better. But even those of us who are prophets, even those of us, like you have seen, even in the last year, how just these globally recognized prophets of the faith have been prophesying and falling hard. They're getting it wrong. Uh-huh. They're getting it wrong. They're crawling into a hole trying to figure it out. And I'm looking at this and saying, you know what? This isn't about saying the prophetic community is dead. It's about us saying, hey, prophets, are you tired? Like, what do you need right now? How can we step up and support you? How can we love you? Do you need a time of rest? Do you need help with discernment? What do you need right now? That is submission. That is what it looks like to show up and say, I am at your service. What do you need? How can I help you? And when we operate with the spirit of grace, we're more willing to step into situations where our leaders are struggling and they're flailing and failing. We can love them through it and gently restore them 
they need it too. Yes, <laughs> they do. Because your authority doesn't mean you don't need somebody to come in gently correct and restore you. So, exactly. but I do want I do want people to hear when we talk about authority and submission in the kingdom of God. This is really tricky. Like, there is no woman who should ever stay in a marriage that is abusive to submit as God told her to. That is not biblical. When you have someone who is misusing and abusing any type of authority that they have been given, this is the time to step up, get support for yourself, and if they cannot hear you, if they cannot hear the kind words and loving correction of someone else trying to invite them into a, back into a solid place of leadership, you have every bit of permission to get out of abusive relationships, abusive situations. Like, and that is, that's really controversial in the church. There are a lot of people that will say divorce is never okay, separation is never okay, we never allow for it. I'm telling you right now, girl, if you're being abused, you have freedom. You can get out. You at least need to get some distance in space. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. So what were you going to say? You said that being so, said. Yeah, that, that being said, I have seen some of the most tragic circumstances of abuse, of marginalization, of just outright hatred toward one another be completely redeemed by the love and by the grace of God. I really believe, and this is, this is controversial, and I get, I get flack, and I get put on, like, heretics.com all the time for this moment. I'm going to say it, and I still believe it with all my heart. If you have two willing parties in the relationship and the Holy Spirit in the middle of it, there is no relationship that cannot be salvaged. There is no natural and God-honoring position of a story that cannot be restored but it takes two willing parties. And if you have a leader like Pharaoh, whose heart is hardened, God's going to deliver his people. He will do it. Yeah. And, you know, there's a thing that uh, it was something that you brought up earlier that I wanted to, that it reminded me of something, rather. Um, so mm-hmm. I was thinking about how um, when it came to Esther dealing with Mordecai, yeah. you know, Mordecai was someone that, she pretty much was going to for advice and direction and guidance. And at the same time, it was like, it was almost like a, a equally submitting, submitting to one another situation because while she was submitting to his, uh, his um, counsel and guidance and stuff like that, he had to ultimately submit to the fact that she would be most likely queen and then also the deliverer or the the instrument used to deliver her people. And so that was a situation where both of them had to submit to one another in, in the in the whole process of what was happening, and there was a purpose behind it. But even in that submission, it wasn't a thing where you better do what I said because of this and, you know, whatever. It was like a suggestion that was being presented to Esther of how yeah. to approach things and what she needed to do. And then Mordecai was really speaking to her identity and he was speaking yeah. to her purpose and building her up and saying, Hey, like I, I see something about you that makes you feel like you're not good enough for this or that you're not able to be the one to make this happen. But I'm speaking to you and telling you that this is the time that you've been 
put on this earth for, that you are in the kingdom for this purpose, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you need to step up into who you are because this is what you're, you're going to be able to do. Only you can do it. And it's like God gave her uh, the open door, and then she goes forth and does what she does. And the ironic thing about it is in her, in her uh, submitting to that guidance and counsel and whatnot, it also caused things to be flipped on her enemy, Haman, who was trying to have them killed. And then he got hung by the own, his own gallows that he wanted to get them with. Exactly. And so that, that right there shows us how, like, the protection that comes with submission, that is also a, a – um, it's like several ways to look at it. And, I, and I, I use this example with people as well where I say, okay, let's just say your child is going to run out into the street and you see them running out there, you know there's a car coming that can hit them, and you say, get out of the street. How many yes. times did I tell you to get out of the street? I told you, brother. You're not saying all that stuff to them because you 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 want to hurt them or whatever. You're trying to protect them, and you're yes. upset that they could have gotten hurt because they went out there. And the thing mm-hmm. about it is you telling them not to go out in the street is not saying, I don't want you to have fun. What you're saying is, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get hit by a car. Those are the things you're really trying to do, and therefore you're really protecting. And so the thing about submission is there is a protection in submission as well. And one mm-hmm. of the other examples I like to use is, like, let's just say someone was on a cliff, and mm-hmm. there's a, 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 a lot of chains that are – connected by some posts that are in the ground or something like that. And it says, there's a sign that says, do not go beyond this point. Well, the mm. people that wrote that sign up and everything weren't saying, hey, man, let's just figure out a way that we can make people not have any fun by being up here on the cliff and, and let's just block them from being able to go to the edge of the cliff. You know, like, you know, like they weren't trying to prevent you from having fun and having the best sight that you could see and, you know, the best uh, vantage point and all that. It wasn't about that. It was about preventing somebody from slipping and falling to their death. And so they were using a boundary that was meant to protect, not to, not to prevent them from having some kind of freedom. Like a lot of times people think, oh, and this is one of the problems that I have with a lot of Christians, to be honest. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a sense, I don't even, I don't really know the best way to articulate this right now, but I'm going to say it this way. Sometimes I feel like Christians have too much freedom and yeah. or they have yeah. too much perceived freedom because yeah. while they are out here talking about, I'm free, I could do this, and that, you know, like acting like whatever they want to do goes, what they're really doing is saying, I don't have to have any discipline. I don't have yeah. to have any kind of boundaries for myself that I say, I don't do this. I don't go beyond this point or whatever. Because even in, so, even in your so-called liberty, mm-hmm. we're still supposed to be bond slaves to Christ. I mean, Paul said it many times. I'm a bond servant to Christ. I'm a bond yeah. servant. I'm in the bonds of this gospel. You know, and the bottom line is, if you look at it in not only in the context of what he's saying, but also in the spirit of what he's saying, he's basically saying, 
I have given myself boundaries by the fact that I serve Christ. There are yes. boundaries that are set in my life. I'm not going beyond that. Not only that, but I'm also making sure that I am in connection with Christ, and it is as if I had a chain attached to me that's attached to him, and wherever he goes, I'm going. So that's yes. the thing. It's like when, when a person realizes that, that those kinds of things are healthy, they are healthy for your, your protection and also for your development. I mean, just imagine you have a child. Again, I like to use this example more than anything. You have a child that you told not to run out into the street, and you mm-hmm. said this to them ever since they were old enough to go outside and play out in the yard or whatever, and you said, mm-hmm. don't go out into the street, and then next thing you know, one day they go out into the street, they get hit by a car, their leg is broken, and it cannot be repaired for them to be to continue to be a gymnast. Yeah. They were a gymnast before this happened. Now because their leg is broken, they can never be a gymnast again. Now yeah. when you look at the overall reason for why they were told not to go out into the street, the overall reason was because it was protecting them in whatever it was that they were doing, number one, and number two, that it was meant to prevent them from being in a position where they could injure themselves and, and, and be hurt in any kind of way. So yeah. it was somewhat twofold or multifold. And the thing about it is when that happens, when an accident happens, now it has stripped them of the ability to continue to do the thing they were loving, that they yeah. wanted to participate in. And mm-hmm. so the thing is about submission, when, when it is in the, in the correct way and in the, the correct context, submission is actually one of the greatest blessings that we have in our life when it comes to um, understanding that when we submit to the will of God, that there is ultimate blessing that comes out of that. It is not yeah. meant to cramp your style. It is not meant to prevent you from having fun and all these other kind of things, it is actually meant ultimately to protect you. That's so good. It's so true. And I think that, you know, when we're looking at submission, when we look at the boundaries that come with this healthy submission, when, when we're mature enough to understand it, we eventually get to a point in our maturity where we realize the boundaries that we have in place, it, that's what gives us our freedom. And it's like you can do anything, but not any, everything is edifying. Just like Paul said, like not everything should be done, but we have to walk through a season, especially the formative years as children and even those like early years of marriage, things like this. You need boundaries in place. And if you continually fight against those boundaries or have them in place for the wrong reasons or don't even like ask questions like, why, why do I have these boundaries? Children are going to continually test their boundaries and say, why is this? Why can't I do that? Why, 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 why? And sometimes a parent just has to say, because it says so. And ultimately, that child will come to a place of maturity where they can look at their parent and say, I know I did that. I know what that was about now. Thank you for that because it's giving me so much freedom. Same thing in your marriage. Like when you enter in and you, you take these vows and you promise to honor and love one another and, you know, we won't forsake one another for anyone or anything, those are really big promises. But we make these promises for reasons. We have boundaries in our lives. Like we don't mess around with pornography. We don't go have drinks with somebody who's not our spouse. Like we don't do that. Because it's opening up the door to disaster. 
And in time, as you grow in maturity and relationships, you get to a point where you say, okay, not only is that a boundary and a guideline in my life, like, I don't even want to do that. No child would willingly run into oncoming traffic and get hit. <laughs> no, no, like, loving um, spouse on their wedding day would look at their partner and say, I can't wait till I get to go have drinks with my ex-girlfriend and have an affair. Nobody says that. <laughs> not what we enter into, but in time, when you have the boundaries and you learn to respect them and operate within them, you see the life that's there. You see, like, what, what was always intended by having those pieces in place, and it goes back to, you know, when God gave us the Ten Commandments, when he's telling us, these are the ways in which I'm wanting you to operate. He wasn't being like a mean, legalistic dad. He was literally saying, okay, y'all are off the rails right now. We, we need to come to an agreement. Like, this is how we're going to operate as, as my children. This is what we're going to do. This is what we do in our family. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And we've been rebelling against it ever since. But when you come to understand the true heart of the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus and the redemption and the salvation that's available now to everyone on earth, you look at even those rules, even those legalistic box-checking things that were written in stone for Moses back in the day, and you say, you know what? God was on to something. Even that honor your mother and father, even that do not commit adultery, like he was on to something and now I know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I was um I was I was having a conversation online with um somebody on Instagram and um the conversation was sparked from a post that I put up about uh not believing or I guess I think I remember it saying something like, you you say that you don't believe in the Bible or certain things in the Bible, and then um, I think you said something like, well, well, where'd you get that from? Or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it said, but the guy that responded to it, he starts going into stuff that showed that he was obviously an atheist. Oh, and wow. so, so what I ended up doing, I had a little bit of a, uh, dialogue with him but in my dialogue i said so so i guess you don't believe that laws should exist huh so mm-hmm. that means that we shouldn't have gravity so we can all float into space uh we shouldn't have uh a law that says you stop at the red light so everybody can just drive however they want to and then we can just have a bunch of accidents or mm-hmm. or we should never uh stop you know um at a stop sign because, you know, everybody should be able to just go wherever they want to go. Or let's just say uh, I want to murder you. Then I, can be, I should be able to do that, right, and not have any consequences. Or I should be able to have sex with your wife and not mm-hmm. have to worry about getting, you know, charged with adultery, or, right? Yeah. you be okay with right? that because we shouldn't have any laws. And right. this person was so ignorant with me <laughs> that they just kept coming back with nonsense that made no sense. And I was like, wow, like well, this is just how far gone his mind is. Isn't that part of the human condition? Like we would rather be right than redemptive. Like we would rather be right than just about anything else. And when somebody comes against us being right, like admitting that we might have been wrong or even slightly off base is maybe the hardest thing for human beings to do, at least in my experience. But these are still conversations that are worth having. And you know what? I'm learning. I don't know. I say the older that I get. I'm 40. Like, I'm not that old, but I have a whole lot of life and ministry ahead of me. But I know 
not 100% of what I say is going to be adopted and believed by everybody I speak to. Like, that's just not going to be a thing. But I'm telling you right now, we are not the only ones who are having these difficult conversations and saying, let's go deeper into this topic of submission. Let's talk about this. And what does it really mean? What does it really look like? And why is that a thing? There are still going to be people, Norman, there are going to be women who are going to hear the word submit, and no matter how nicely you say it, no matter how perfectly you package it, it is going to trigger them. It's going to trigger them because of trauma in their life that they need healing from. And that's not always our responsibility, but it is our responsibility as the church to find these places of healing, to get down deep and say, why is it that you feel this way about this word? What about that is true? What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.